As researchers work around the clock to develop a vaccine for COVID-19, the novel coronavirus that sickened over 15 million people globally, we've seen human, scientific, and technological resources mobilized like never before. Faced with widespread economic losses and mounting public pressure, scientists are banding together in the global fight against COVID-19, doing everything possible to bring about a quicker end to the pandemic. From smart tech wearable innovations that monitor symptoms to the human challenge trial volunteers making sacrifices to save others from the disease, the coronavirus has us pulling out all the stops, experimenting with technology and on ourselves to stay ahead of the COVID-19 curve. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about COVID-19 tracking smart rings that can monitor users' heart rate, body temperature, and breathing patterns. With the NBA's restart offering players the option to use these wearable sensors, researchers hope this unique testing ground can provide big tech with new opportunities to shift gears and help fight the coronavirus. Our second story is about a growing group of volunteers willing to take science into their own hands and deliberately get infected with the novel coronavirus. Would-be volunteers hope these human challenge trials can speed up the vaccine development process and offer a new sense of hope amid uncertain times. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, as the NBA gears up to restart its 2019-2020 season, researchers hope wearable sensors can help prevent COVID-19's silent spread. Health, a smart ring first made to track your sleep habits. If we're using an aura ring, the data shows that you can identify symptoms of COVID-19. The next chapter of Sports in a Bubble sees the NBA gearing up to restart its 2019-2020 season at Walt Disney World on June 30th. The league released a 100-page safety plan in June 2020 that describes life inside Orlando's bubble. The bubble, of course, is the proposed enclosed environment in which the participants live, practice, and play all games. One tool at the player's disposal... COVID-19 tracking smart rings that continuously monitored players' heart rate, body temperature, and breathing patterns. The Aura Ring, made by the Finnish company Aura, was originally designed to be worn during sleep and tracks users' heartbeat, movement, and temperature to provide a holistic view of health and sleep patterns. It feeds this data into AI-guided models to determine patterns. Taking things a crucial step further, models can now predict the onset of COVID-19-related symptoms like fevers, coughing, and breathing problems. AI algorithms will then use this data to calculate a player's illness probability score. While physicians say the smart rings could help pinpoint where and how exactly COVID-19 is spreading, they also warn the smart rings have not been rigorously tested for accuracy and should not replace public health precautions like social distancing, masks, or regular testing. However, one physician, Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, is supportive of the NBA's restart plan, telling Stadium he thinks the NBA could be onto something. I was very pleased to see that the intent was not reckless at all. They, they really wanted to make sure that the safety of the players and the people associated with the players was paramount. So I think that uh, you might be able to do something like that with basketball. Could you extrapolate that 
to some of the other sports, possibly. I think they should look at that model, see how it works, and then, you know, take it from there. Maybe modifications of that for some of the other sports. So will the NBA serve as a possible blueprint for other professional sports leagues to follow? Whatever the case, it's ultimately the basketball court that will help researchers determine which interventions, including the aura ring, make a real difference. Here to explain more is Inverse's Ali Patillo. How's it going, Ali? It's good. Thanks, Tanya. So, you know, these rings came out at the center of this NBA bubble restart. You know, it stole a lot of attention from the spotlight. And to claim that it can predict COVID-19 symptoms with such accuracy, to back that up, you know, it must have its technological work cut out for it. What what kind of technology is making these smart rings work? So the NBA is harnessing these smart rings made by the company Aura. So they're lightweight titanium, and they were originally designed as sleep and health trackers. And they're hoping that these rings, in addition to an 100-page extensive protocol, will hopefully prevent the Disney bubble from becoming a viral hotspot. And these rings in particular may help prevent a silent spread of COVID-19 because, as you mentioned, preliminary research suggests that the smart rings can detect symptoms before they even show up or appear. So the way they work is that they are continuously monitoring players' heart rate, their body temperature, their breathing patterns, and they're utilizing, I mean, very complex technology. So these NTC temperature sensors, infrared light, LED technology, motion sensors, all these things combined in this tiny ring to hopefully figure out who might be infected and prevent them from spreading them to the you know thousands of people that are going to be in the Disney bubble. And it's important to note that players and staff and coaches are not required to wear them, but they're offered as kind of an extensive or a, an additional tool that might help. So this is just one instance where we see a tech company pivoting, so to speak. We see how wearable device technology is becoming a useful tool here. But there's other types of similar tech that's notably useful at this time, right? You see all these tech companies shifting toward helping with the coronavirus crisis. Yeah. So within the league, they're also using smart thermometers and pulse oximeters. They're using these proximity alarms that will beep anytime people are kind of violating the six feet rule for too long, if they're too close together. Other researchers are exploring how health trackers like Fitbits and Apple Watches, which also collect different bodily measures, could be helpful in tracking COVID-19. I think at this point, technology companies and healthcare companies are utilizing every possible weapon at their disposal and kind of throwing things against the wall to see if they work. So these are still pretty new to the scene. And like we said, we're seeing tech companies pivot in an effort to fight COVID-19. They're doing so very quickly. Should we be wary? You know, where does testing come in? And, and is there worry that this could provide some kind of false security? Yeah. So s- some health experts are a little bit cautious that people might think these smart rings or smart devices will kind of make people, as you said, have a false sense of security, think that they don't have to engage in other public health precautions like social distancing, masks, or regular testing. And the NBA is not trying to replace those precautions. As I mentioned, this is kind of one piece of an 100-page protocol designed to keep players, coaches, and staff safe. And this by no means is kind of a substitute for a lot of the precautions that we know for sure work really well, which are social distancing and masks. 
It's interesting how the NBA became this very specific, unique testing ground, you know. And again, sports in a bubble is proving to be a real concept here. It'd be interesting to see if this perhaps can be used more broadly. Yeah, the NBA, um, from a public health perspective, a lot of health experts have been really impressed by their plan to resume play in the Disney bubble. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, you know, we've seen throughout the entire pandemic as a leading voice and the nation's top expert on infectious diseases, said that he approves of the NBA's restart plan, calling it really creative and potentially a blueprint for other sports leagues to follow. So, you know, the league is slated to resume playing July 30th. So we really won't know how all of these tactics and tools um, will play out until players start playing again. But if, you know, they are helpful, this could be helpful to inform other communities around the world. And I think that people will be really interested to see what insights we can glean. Full details at inverse.com. Allie, thanks. Thanks, Tanya. The virus that causes COVID-19 is very new. However, the idea that we should experiment on ourselves is very old. Up now, human volunteers explain why they're ready to get COVID-19 on purpose. Because I felt like I had no control over the situation, I started Googling ways on how to help. Through my research, I found One Day Sooner, and I thought it sounded really great. Understanding all the risks it might create, volunteering to be part of a human challenge trial, I wanted to really exert my ability to do something that could potentially help thousands, if not millions of people. So that's how I got involved. That was violinist Gloria Lee. She signed up to participate in a human challenge trial for the novel coronavirus. If she's chosen, she will intentionally be infected with COVID-19 by scientists looking to test a vaccine. The idea to be part of a trial struck her in May when she realized she might not play another concert until 2021. She is one of the many human challenge trial volunteers through the organization One Day Sooner, an advocacy group made up of scientists and now over 28,000 would-be volunteers from one 102 different countries. These volunteers would undergo initial health screenings and enter a study facility where they're dosed with COVID-19 or any test vaccine. They stay there until they beat the disease and scientists can confirm they aren't shedding the virus when they're released. There is a growing amount of support for this idea. Take A.B. Rorig, for example. He's a volunteer with One Day Sooner who is offered to participate in a human challenge trial for COVID-19. If it goes through, he's committed to participating. Even if a challenge trial just proves that a vaccine is effective for young, healthy people, that's no small victory because A, it means that those people could get a vaccine and potentially get back to work. And so you could save the lives of, of young, healthy people. And second, those young, healthy people are now no longer infecting the older people that they come in contact with. So you're building on herd immunity. These would-be volunteers interviewed by Inverse are also partially motivated by the feeling of helplessness that comes from living during a pandemic. For some, the trials also fulfill emotional and spiritual needs. That's the case for Gabrielle Kleinwachs, a 23-year-old pursuing her PhD in medical engineering. It just struck me 
not only is this the best way I can help right now, you know, it's, it's so easy to feel so helpless in a pandemic, and this is something I could do. But besides that, it might be one of the most important things I ever do in my entire life. Empathy and concern for others. It's the values I was raised with, you know. Inverse's Emma Batwell spoke with these would-be volunteers who shared their stories with Inverse. She's with us right now to tell us more. Hey, Emma. Hey, Tanya. Thanks for having me. So the concept is probably less familiar to the broad scope of us. So can you first explain a little bit about how these types of trials go, you know, the process of how to become a volunteer and what a day in the life would look like should someone be accepted? So the people that I spoke to all volunteered through an organization called One Day Sooner. Um, So they just signed up uh, on the website and they don't know if they're going to be selected. That's so far off because we don't even know if this trial is going to happen. But let's say that you sign up and you are selected. You'll go through a health screening. Then you will, let's say that you're selected and you also you'll have an antibody test and a COVID test to make sure that you don't already have COVID. Then you would go to their facility where you'd probably get a day or two to acclimate, figure out if the food and everything is sort of to your liking. And then you would probably get a nasal spray exposure to COVID-19. And then later on, some people would get a vaccine as well, an experimental vaccine. Sort of when you're in that facility, you are then there for the duration of the study. You're you're not leaving, obviously. You are eating the food they're giving you. You can you know bring your computer and watch movies and read books, but you are there until uh, your body clears the virus, which can be, you know, probably about a month, but maybe longer, depending on who you are. Based on the people that you spoke to, clearly this takes a very unique individual. Someone's really stepping up to the plate here. What do you think is the biggest driving force, you know, motivating people to volunteer for trials like these? Yeah, there's obviously that feeling that we can all relate to, which is not really knowing how to help during a pandemic. And that can be a feeling of hopelessness for some people, I think, is is a word that gets used. But I think for a lot of people, it's sort of a motivating factor. They look around and they look for places that they can help. They're, you know, violinists and college students and um, mechanical engineers. So I think a lot of it is sort of watching your normal plans go off the rails and looking for a way that you can channel that extra energy and motivation into something where you really can help. And some people do that in different ways. We've seen people do that with blood plasma donation um, for people who've even gotten COVID and wanted to help out. Volunteering for a human challenge trial to create a vaccine has a really special meaning for some people because a vaccine is ultimately what's going to help us end this whole thing. You know, I was trying to wrap my head around the logistics that would go into creating a human challenge trial. As far as these trials in and of themselves go, how difficult is it to get something like this going and then sustain it after the fact? I mean, I think that there are some just big logistical challenges um, that some of my experts brought up, among them being you also, when you're bringing people in, you will have to have access to an ICU. The people who would be part of this human challenge trial are not people who are in high-risk groups for COVID. Uh, But even still, this is a serious illness and it's uh, unknown in a lot of ways, the long-term effects. So you want to have access to an ICU. 
that actually creates a bit of a bottleneck because you can't have, you have to make sure that the people who are, you know, part of the trial also have that access while you're bringing new people in to sort of expand your base. So the, that's a pretty clear issue there. They might have to have multiple facilities, not just one facility, in an effort of getting as many people as possible involved in that trial. Some other log jams that could come up, I think that there are just sort of innumerable ones, but another one that gets brought up a lot is the fact that there's no truly definitive recognized treatment for COVID-19. There's been some reporting saying that's a sticking point for a lot of people in terms of creating a human challenge trial for a disease, disease where there's no definitive cure, right? But we know that people do recover from COVID-19. So actually, that's not as big a sticking point as it might seem. And the virus does clear. But the fact that there is and actually, I spoke to Matthew Mamoli, who has run a bunch of human challenge trials for the flu. There's no definitive cure uh, for some of the flu uh, trials he's done either. It's less of a sticking point, but it's definitely still sort of an ethical issue is, you know, infecting people with a disease for whom a cure is or, a, you know, a, a really solid treatment is still a bit elusive. What's your sense of the general perception of this concept? Because, you know, the, the question that always comes up is, is how ethical is this? Is this ethically sound? Um, how does the scientific community address that question? Yeah, I think that it comes off as weird initially. Um, the sticking point with these is that you are intentionally infecting somebody with a disease. That, I think, can be really kind of jarring. There are a lot of arguments that you can come at from a few different ways. So if you think about the loss of life that would happen if we don't have a vaccine for all of the immunization programs around the world that don't happen because we're on pause, there's a pretty strong ethical argument that that need is extremely great and that it's the faster we can have a vaccine, the more people we could save by restoring normal life. There are also many frameworks for which human challenge trials can be done ethically. I mean, they've been done already. They're done for cholera and they're done for malaria. They're done for the flu all the time. Uh, so there, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're common, but they are definitely, there is a framework for doing them ethically. There's more to the story at inverse.com. Thanks, Emma. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. Head to Inverse.com to read more about the latest innovations in the fight against COVID-19. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. Look for the Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.